Listen to this portion of the story of God as it is written in the library that we love from the 13th chapter of John's Gospel. Before the Passover festival began, Jesus was keenly aware that his hour had come. From beginning to end, Jesus' days were marked by his love for his people. Before Jesus and his disciples gathered for dinner, the adversary filled Judas Iscariot's heart with plans of deceit and betrayal. Jesus, knowing that he was one with God, stood up from the dinner and removed his outer robes. He then wrapped himself in a towel, poured water in a basin, and began to wash the feet of the disciples, drying them with his towel. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered, you do not know what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter said to him, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, then wash me, but don't stop with my feet. Clean my hands and my head as well. Jesus said to him, one who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet and picking up his garments, he reclined at the table again. Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and truly that is who I am. If your Lord and teacher washes your feet, then you should wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, a servant is not greater than the master. Those who are sent are not greater than the one who sends them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. My children, my time here is brief. You will be searching for me, but you cannot go where I am going. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. This is the story of God told for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In the summer of 2014, Stacy and I found ourselves wandering around the Negev Desert in Israel. We were part of a study tour being led by Scott Hare and AHUMC's own Ryan Jacobson. The Hebraic root of the word Negev means dry. And if you've ever been to the Negev, you know that that is an accurate name. We were there in July, so not only was the desert dry, it was really, really hot, like above 110 degrees hot. On one particular hot and dry day, Scott called the 40 of us that were part of the study off of the bus and into the desert wilderness of the Negev. As soon as we all had our backpacks on, the bus left and we began to hike. After an hour or so, we had hiked into what felt like the middle of nowhere. There were no roads or civilization to be seen, no tourists in sight, just 40 sweaty Methodists longing for shade and a clue to where we were going. As we paused for a break and frantically guzzled water from our backpacks, Scott chose this moment to tell us about the differences between sheep and goats. 
Now, it seemed like a strange and unusual thing to do at that moment when there were no sheep or goats anywhere around. Let's be honest, even sheep and goats are too smart to be in the middle of the desert in the middle of the day in July. But we were all flirting with heat exhaustion and just happy to be still for a moment. So we squinted at Scott in the desert sun and did our best to pay attention. Scott told us that sheep listen and follow the shepherd, while goats do not listen or follow, but instead wander as they go. He followed this wonderful bit of agrarian wisdom with a quote from the Christian scriptures where Jesus talks about sheep and goats. With that, he picked up his backpack, offered no further explanation, and said, come, follow me, as he took off hiking through the desert. Stunned and a little confused, our herd eventually collected itself and wandered in the direction of Scott. After 15 minutes or so, Scott stopped hiking, gathered us all around, and then word for word gave the same speech about sheep following and goats wandering. He then ended the short speech with the same scriptural quote and once again said, come, follow me as he turned to hike back in the direction from where we had originally come. We were still very confused, and the thought that the heat may have gotten to Scott certainly began to enter into our minds, but nonetheless, our huddled mass began to hike once more. When we arrived back at the same spot of the first sheep and goat speech, Scott stopped assembled us once more and gave the same exact speech. Sheep follow, goats wander, we get it. Weary hikers began to ask questions and raise their hands in objection, but Scott didn't offer any new information. He simply finished his speech and said, come, follow me, just as he had before and began retracing the hike we just finished. Now, hearing this story now in comfortable air-conditioned space without heat exhaustion and dehydration, you may realize what Scott was up to, but I'll confess that this went on for quite a while before any of us began to suspect that there was something we were supposed to do, something we were missing. Back and forth we hiked, same hike, same speech, sheep follow, goats wander, no other information, just hiking and heat. Finally, it dawned on someone who was hiking right behind Scott that he was taking the same extremely particular path back and forth. They noticed that Scott would go to the left of a certain bush every time or point out a specific rock as he stepped over it. Scott wasn't just wandering. He was walking a specific trail and inviting us to follow him, inviting us to be sheep rather than goats who wander. Our band of heat-stroked hikers began to work together. We formed a line. We determined that if we ever wanted to get out of the desert alive, we needed to check our goat behavior pay close attention to each step, and do exactly what Scott 
was doing. As Scott went to the left of that certain bush, the person behind him would go to the left of that bush and tell the person behind them to do the same. The instructions would pass back through the line so we could all follow the same exact path as Scott. It took a couple of hours for us all to catch and follow each of the particular pieces of the path, but eventually we did it. We became sheep that listened to and followed their shepherd. And when we finally nailed it, Scott led us to a shady rock formation to cool off, rehydrate, and share stories about all we had just experienced. He then led us in a new direction that quickly brought us to where the bus had been waiting out of sight the whole day. We piled into the glorious air conditioning, collapsed into our seats, and fell asleep on the ride back. And needless to say, that day of a thousand hikes in the Negev was transformational. As Stacy and I have reflected on that experience, it has occurred to us that our transformation did not take place because we learned a lesson, but because we lived one. Scott and Ryan didn't put us in a room and give us a lecture. They didn't write a devotional for us to read. Ironically, I must stand here now and admit to you, they didn't even offer a sermon. Their offer wasn't information. Their offer was an invitation to follow, to emulate, to directly experience the transformation that comes through living it, all of it. Sweat and dirt, confusion and awakening. It wasn't information, it was embodiment. Now, embodiment is one of those words that sounds like what it means. It means to give something abstract a body, something concrete, something that can be experienced. When we embody an idea or a feeling, we express it in a tangible, touchable way, in a way that we can engage and experience with our bodies, our whole selves. The difference between sheep and goats, be it philosophical or metaphorical, had previously just been an idea to me. It wasn't transformational. It was just information in my head until our experience in the Negev. There, it became tangible, experiential embodied. It got inside me and it changed me. And when we look at the story of Jesus washing the disciples' feet in the 13th chapter of John's gospel, I can't help but wonder if it's about embodiment. This strange and unusual story about a strange and unusual foot washing is only found in the gospel of John. Jesus engages his disciples in a tangible, touchable experience. In fact, I would venture to say that this story is so tangible, so sensual and raw, that even its retelling 2,000 years later can make us feel something. If you're like me, this story may make you feel a little uncomfortable. Friends, when a story can reach across the distances of time and culture and language and still make us uncomfortable, I think it's safe to say that the storytellers experienced something real. 
Stories like that have a pulse. It's almost like we can sense the transformational power to which they testify. Perhaps that's evidence of something that was previously just an idea to the storytellers somehow ending up embodied, being directly experienced. Peter experienced it. When I hear this story, hear in this story that Peter pipes up and objects to the discomfort that he's feeling, I agree with him. I think, thank God someone else sees it. I thought it was just me. I am uncomfortable with this foot washing. But maybe that's the point. Maybe the discomfort I'm feeling at the thought of the Christ washing my feet, the same discomfort that Peter experienced, comes from embodiment. Maybe, like facing exhaustion in the desert, that's what happens when the abstract idea becomes a concrete reality. Fuller Theological Seminary professor Joel Green said it this way, if Jesus just wanted to make a point about serving others, he could have just said, serve each other. That's not what he does. Instead, Jesus takes off his rabbinical robes, wraps himself in a servant's towel, gets down on his knees, and does the menial task of cleaning the desert dust and dirt off of the feet of the disciples. Friends, that's not an idea. Jesus puts tangible, touchable body to this encounter. Humility knelt among the disciples. Service looked them in the eyes. Love picked up a towel and washed their feet. That's embodiment. Now, just like our never-ending hike in the Negev, the invitation is to experience. Get this inside you. Don't just know it in your head. Live it. Feel it in your bones. Even Jesus' sparing choice of words in this story point to embodiment. After he finishes washing their feet, Jesus speaks to the disciples about what has just happened. And in verse 15, he says, for I have given you an example. Now, the Greek word that is translated as given in that sentence is the word didome. And it's accurately translated as to give or to entrust. But friends, there's more here. There's wordplay afoot. Didome sounds an awful lot like the Greek word Didamas, a word used only three times in all of the Christian scriptures, and all three of those usages occur in this gospel, in John's gospel, to refer to Thomas, the twin, Thomas, the Didamas, Didome, Didamas. It's as if Jesus is saying, I have given you an example so you can twin me. Don't just think this, live it. Do just as I have done what I embody, I call you to embody, become my twin. It's worth noting that the arc of experience in John's gospel begins in the first chapter 
with Jesus rounding up disciples with an invitation to follow me, come and see. Here in the 13th chapter, on the night in which one of those disciples would betray Jesus, the invitation shifts from follow me to be like me, become my twin. Friends, the context of that shift is crushing and easy to miss. If I wander through this story like the stubborn goat that I am, I can all too easily blow right past a particular embodied detail that I don't really want to face. Judas is there. Judas Iscariot, the one who would betray Jesus, is among the disciples as Jesus washes their feet. Love embodied, knowingly puts on a towel, kneels down, and washes the feet of betrayal embodied. There's no qualification for who can receive. There's no distinction between the worthy and the unworthy. There is no separation. This humility and service and love is for everyone, even Judas. The one who would hasten the arrest, torture, and crucifixion of Jesus has the towel-wrapped Christ kneel before him to wash his feet. Friends, I don't do this. If I'm going to serve someone, I want to know that they are worthy of my service. I'm much more comfortable humbling myself before people who recognize and appreciate my great humility. Why would I love someone who is actively exploiting and rejecting my love? This makes me all kinds of uncomfortable. But this story seems to suggest that perhaps I haven't washed enough feet. Perhaps I need to hike this trail a few more times before it gets inside me. I'm not yet a twin of the Christ. The Christ doesn't try to avoid pain and suffering like I do. Doesn't try to escape betrayal, sidestep suffering, or dodge the dirty work. It's all incorporated, included, absorbed. Love necessarily risks betrayal and lays down retaliation and resentment. Dirt and spirit, the mundane and the sacred, the human and the divine are one. They occupy the same terrain. At the end of this story in John 13, Jesus repeats his invitation to embodiment, saying, a new commandment I give you, love one another just as I have loved you. That seems an odd choice of words considering that the Hebrew scriptures are filled with commandments of service, humility, forgiveness, and love. 
Leviticus 19 includes commandments not to seek revenge or bear a grudge to, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' commandment to love was not really a new idea. But once again, maybe that's the point. Perhaps Jesus' commandment was new because it was no longer an idea. It was new because the Christ put a body on it. Divine love in and through flesh and blood and dirt and sweat and tears. Not abstract, not just an idea, but tangible, touchable, and twinable. Love one another just as I have loved you ceased being an idea to these disciples. It became an embodied reality, something they experienced directly, a trail they would hike and feet they would wash over and over again in the deserts that lay ahead. And for us, right here, right now, the path of embodied love goes on. Sheep follow, goats wander. Just like the uncomfortable and uncertain disciples before us, we too are offered and called to a love that will not only humbly kneel to wash feet and absorb betrayal, but a love that in its fullness will rise from its knees to walk willingly and confidently toward darkness, suffering, and death. Pay close attention to each step because where our shepherd goes, we must follow.